0: And we are in the final session of our two-part study on the book of Haggai. We started this study last week, and I have to confess I kind of wish I would have made this a three or four-week series because as I've got into just reading and asking God what, what He wants to say through this book, it's really been ministering to me. It's really been blessing me. And we're calling this series House Rules and If you missed last week, I want to catch you up on on the main parts. But more than that, I want to encourage you to read this book for yourself. It's a short book. It's only two chapters. It will take you all of five minutes to read it. But within this very small book, there's been some profound truth. And if you want extra credit, I would just tell you to write down some of the things that we've talked about uh, just next to the verses in your Bible. So you'll remember them. But uh, the... The context of this book is it revolves around the condition of God's house and the connection to people's hearts. You see that the temple at this point was in ruins and as a result, so were people's lives. I want to start by giving you a little, little history lesson. You see the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem had been in ruins for over 50 years. What had happened was the nation of Babylon, the Babylonian empire had come in, ravaged the city, destroyed Judah, and in the process, heaped a major insult by destroying the temple. I didn't take a lot of time to talk about this last week, but the temple was a big deal. And I don't just mean it was a big deal in people's lives. I mean, it was physically impressive. It was built by Solomon. Solomon is known as the wisest man who ever lived. Also is the richest man who ever lived. More money than Elon. More money than Bezos. Actually combined. They they say his wealth today, if if you were to put it in today's dollars, would have been $2.1 trillion. That's a lot of money. So this very wise man, this very wealthy man, builds this incredible, impressive temple. And it was so grand that one historian said at the time, half of the world's gold was used in this temple. Half of the world's gold. That's a a lot of gold. And before you think it's a little extreme, I just want to remind you, God actually wanted it that way. He actually followed the specifications that God had laid out. God wanted it that way because He's glorious, he's great, he's worthy to be praised. Besides that, it's really just asphalt in heaven anyway, so it's not that big a deal. But it's a lot of gold, you gotta understand that the candlesticks were made of gold. The wash basins were made of gold. The tongs that they would take out the coals, that they would burn incense, were made of gold. Even the hinges on the doors were made of gold, I say all that because maybe those facts shed a little more light on why the people were so slow to build this temple. Because the first week we learned that they would say, hey, it's not the right time. It's not time to do this yet. It's not time to build God's temple. Well, the temple that they were thinking about and the temple that they were referring to was this temple. This temple that used half of the world's gold and. Now that temple has been destroyed. It was in 587 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire came and destroyed everything. Now, 50 years later, Persia conquered Babylon and King Cyrus issued a decree that allowed a remnant of Jewish people to return to Jerusalem, people who had previously been taken captive by the Babylonians. And they could return for the purpose of building this temple, Solomon's temple. Now it was the Lord's temple, but it was built by Solomon. He's the one credited with the plans for building it. And so they get back and they get started, but then they stop. And where we come up to them in the book of Haggai, it's 16 years later, after they had first returned, the temple is still lying in ruins while everybody who's there is building additions onto their fully furnished houses. So God raises up this prophet Haggai to call the people back to the task, and he tells them, hey, don't just focus on your house. You need to focus on God's house. And I'm not going to re-preach the whole sermon, but the key takeaway last week that you needed to get is that when you build God's house, he builds your house. Take it to the bank, write it down. That needs to be a life thought for you. A life key is that when you build God's house, he builds your house. And it was really a message about distractions, how we've let distractions slip into our lives and disrupt our priorities and move us off our purpose. That was the first week. Well, as we continue this week in our study of Haggai, I don't want to talk to you about distractions. I want to talk to you about discouragement. Discouragement. I want to pick up right where we left off. This is the verse we left off last week. Haggai chapter one verse thirteen it says, "Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the lo- of the Lord to the people: 'I am with you,' declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak. It's a great name. If we had another kid, I'd say Josadak Jenkins." has a ring to it but the high priest and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the 6th month so God stirred up the people and they began to build God stirred up the people and they began to work but guess what happens the exact same thing that happens to you and me they got started Things were happening, things were going, progress is being made. They started building for a month. And after a month, you guessed it, they quit. They quit after one month. God shows up, speaks to them through the prophet Haggai, they get excited, we can do this, they're stirred up, they've got momentum going, things are happening. And one month in, And they quit. And I needed to bring that up before we get into chapter 2 because I think this can happen to us. Maybe you came last week and you're like, it's it. I've been distracted. I've got my priorities off. I need to realign my priorities. I need to be about the right things. I'm going to build God's house. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to do this. You're good for a while. But then you stop. Because you get Discouraged. We're going to find out why. So in Haggai chapter 2 verse 1, it says, On the 21st day of the seventh month, this is one month later, the word of the Lord came through the prophet, Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? The temple that Solomon built. How? Does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? I want to use this verse to talk to you today from this subject, a new method for measuring. A new method for measuring. That's the title of my sermon. But it's actually one of those sermons that has two titles. It's a double portion. It's a double blessing. It's a choose-your-own-adventure sermon. You can choose the one you like. My other title is Now Isn't Nothing. Now Isn't Nothing. I have a problem that I I need to confess to you. It's always dangerous when the pastor starts out like that. But my problem is I'm obsessed with measurement. Even the little things. I... (laughs) I measure my goals. I measure my progress personally in the church. You'd be surprised at all the things we measure. I'm obsessed with measurement, and I think part of it is you can't really move forward anything that you fail to measure. Because, I mean, how are you going to know if you're growing if you don't know where you started? And so. I'm a bit obsessive about tracking a, a lot of different things, tracking my physical workouts, tracking where I'm at in relation to goals that I've set, tracking where I'm at to things that I've set out to accomplish and all these different things. And I, I just, sort of, I get satisfaction from knowing that what I'm doing is working. I get satisfaction from knowing that progress is, being made. I, I like improvement. That's the good part. That's not really my problem. My, my problem is that this obsession with measurement, knowing how you're doing, it's not really helpful when a large part of what you do is speak for a living. Because how do you measure the success of a sermon? I've been thinking about this. I, Read one book that said, you know, you know a sermon is successful when it's sticky. I think that's good. Like, I mean, I try to make things memorable, put it in a way I feel like you can't live something out if you can't remember it. And so it's good to say things that are memorable. But just because something's memorable doesn't mean that it's meaningful. I mean, I know all the words to hips don't lie. That hasn't exactly changed my life changed Marissa's life (laughs) same time sometimes the things that really matter aren't the things you can remember I can hardly remember my kids birthdays (laughs) how old they are I forget so I don't know that whether something is memorable or whether something is sticky is the best measure of significance I've thought about this, what makes a sermon successful? Maybe it's um, how many views it gets on YouTube. That could be something, it's reach. But I mean, if that was the measure, I should probably just stop preaching and show cat videos because that would get a lot more clicks. That would get a lot more views. So it's not, is it sticky? It's not how many people hear it or, or watch it. There's gotta be something else. And I have run through the gamut. You know, does it make people laugh? Does it get a response? Does it make people cry? How does it make people feel? Do they enjoy it? I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can measure. And the truth is my problem isn't just my problem. It's also your problem. And I'm not saying that you necessarily care about the success of my sermon, but I understand that the question I ask about my sermon is the same question all of us ask about our lives what i found is that the more something matters, the harder it is to measure. So what we do is we look to artificial measurements. That's what I was doing. It's sticky. People watch it. It's a response. Artificial measurements. I don't know what your artificial measurements are, but I imagine you have some artificial measurements. How much money I have in the bank, right? How many letters are next to my name? What letters are next to my name? Do I have somebody in my life? Are my kids happy? How many followers do I have? Whatever it is, artificial measurements. And the problem with artificial measurements is that they create superficial significance. Superficial significance never satisfies because we all know that in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you are meeting or failing to meet your artificial measurements that you've put in place when you don't know if what you're doing really matters, it leaves you feeling discouraged. That's where the people are in Haggai chapter two. When we catch up with them in the second chapter, it was a day of one of their religious festivals, their big religious festivals. So all the people, All the people who have come back from Babylon returned to Judah, to Jerusalem for this process of rebuilding the temple. All the people have gathered outside the temple now because they want to see the progress going on at this construction site. But when everybody gathered, it was a lot less impressive than what they expected. There were two reasons for this. One reason, their progress looked pitiful. The other reason is the design looked inferior. So they're discouraged. They're they're discouraged because here you have people who are trying to do their best. They have a sincere desire to build God's house, but the realization of their shortcomings has caused their initial faith in the process to fizzle out. Yet, in the middle of this mess, God sends a messenger. He sends Haggai. He comes on the scene. He asks them three questions because when God speaks, he doesn't always speak with an answer. Sometimes he speaks with a question. And he asks them these questions. Let's look at him. He says, who of you is left who saw the house in his former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Let's talk about the first one. Who of you is left? See, while they were in Babylon, there was this entire generation who had died out, this entire generation who had known Solomon's temple, who had seen it in all its glory, who had experienced it. Now most of them are gone, but there are some who are left. In fact, Haggai is one of the ones who's left. Bible scholars think that Haggai was 70 years old, maybe mid-70s when he's given this prophecy, that would have made him a teenager when Babylon first came in. He would have witnessed and experienced Solomon's temple. He would have known what it looked like. He would have been there for the sacrifices. He would have remembered all this. But he wasn't the only one. There were other people in the group there, other priests, other Levites, other leaders of this group who'd come back to oversee the work. But rather than praising the progress that had been completed... These elders let their experience become the enemy of their expectation. And these next two questions, they give us insight into the source of their discouragement. Let's look at them. He says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Within these two questions, we get insight into the source of all of our discouragement. They're misguided measures. This is why we set out, we get so frustrated, because we're measuring the wrong thing. We measure by comparison, and we measure by completion. Comparison and completion. Where am I at in relation to someone else, or where am I at in relation to where I wanna be? Let's talk about the first one, comparison got to remember Solomon's temple was amazing this current project not so much Solomon's temple was decked out with gold this current one there's no gold Solomon's temple it was a testament to Israel's influence this one that they're at right now it's being rebuilt from rubble Solomon's temple had God's help behind it This one that's being put together right now is being done by a remnant of people who are simply doing the best they can. It doesn't even compare. And I don't know about you, but I can get incredibly discouraged when I begin to compare my life with other people because I can always find somebody else to make me feel like a failure. Look at what I have. Look at what they have that I don't. Look at what they've done that I haven't. Look at what they're at, that I'm not. And if you really want to feel like a loser, just spend time on Instagram. Why are you discouraged? Because you compared, you compared. And whenever you do that, the passion that got you started doesn't stay with you. That's comparison. But then there's also completion. That's when our own personal lack of progress, doesn't measure up with what we presumed. It's not that what they had done wasn't significant. It's just that in their eyes, it wasn't enough because I had an expectation that I'd be further along by now. I had an expectation that this was going to be easier than it's been. I had an expectation that I wouldn't run into this obstacle. I had an expectation that this was going to go a lot differently. And now I want to quit because it's not what I expected. And all of us have done this. You go on a diet, you don't see any results. You start a business, it doesn't go like you thought it would. You invest in a church, you show up. And yet you're still dealing with the same sin or the same struggle. And you think that it's not working because you've mistaken fruitfulness with being finished. Now, at the root of our discouragement, it's two things: it's a lot of comparison and a lack of completion. Now, this next moment I want to be honest with you, and it's a little risky sharing this with you because I don't want you to get the wrong perspective and When I share this with you, what I want you to hear is I'm not asking for your sympathy. I'm not saying write me notes and tell me you're doing a good job, Pastor Justin. But I want to share this with you because I want to be real. More than that, I want to be helpful. But just like I told you, I've got this problem of being obsessed with measurement. The other side of that is I live with this sense of low-grade discouragement all the time. And I've tried to identify what it is because at the, at the root of it, I'm always thinking about how things could be better. I'm always seeing how things can be better. For example, after this message, I'm going to go up to my office and I'm going to think about all the things I could have said that would have been more helpful, all the things I didn't say that I meant to say, and all the things that I wish would have been different and I don't even know how our team deals with me because they're going to have to hear it from me. It's not just today in this moment. There's a lot of things that it causes me to live with this low-grade discouragement all the time. I'll give you another example. I feel this divine responsibility for you. I know that Jesus is the chief shepherd, but there's this other part of it where God has given me a responsibility and I care for the people that are coming here. And it's my heart that you would know Jesus personally. It's my heart that you would put him first in every area of your life. It's my heart that you would follow him, that you'd be live a life that is surrendered to his will and submitted to his purpose. That as a fruit of that, that your marriages. Those of you who are married would be stronger, that your families would be stronger, that you would experience God's best for you. And yet I see a lot of people that make poor choices, see a lot of people make some stupid decisions, see a lot of people that throw away their marriages, that don't put God first. And I've got to tell you, like that stuff wrecks me. It does because I care about you. It's not just the places where you miss it. It's the places where I miss it. I get discouraged when I think about the places where I mess up with people. Situations that I wish I would have handled differently and I could have handled differently, but I, I didn't. Low grade discouragement. And that's just some of the stuff on the list. And you probably think, well, why are you telling me this so that we can all be on the same level and all be discouraged together? God bless you. <laughs> no, the reason I'm telling you this is because I do want us to be on the same playing field. What I'm going to share with you, I'm not speaking to you from theory. I'm speaking to you something that I know. And I also want you to know that I found a secret. I found a secret. And this secret has really changed things for me. Now, God showed me this secret earlier this year but I was excited when I saw it in the text because I knew I was gonna get an opportunity to share it with you. So let's look at what God tells his people. I'm gonna move through this next part quickly, but in Haggai 2 verse four, it says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. So it says, be strong and work, for I'm with you. That's not the secret. Don't worry. But I, w- I do want to just quickly mention something about these two things. First, he says, now be strong. Second, he says, do the work. The great news is, we don't have to be strong in our own power. In the New Testament, what we understand is that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And that because we have his Holy spirit within us, it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That means that even when I feel weak and I feel like I don't have what it takes to be strong, I don't have to do it in my own strength. I can rely on his power. He says, now be strong, do the work. He didn't say talk the talk. He doesn't say dream the dream. He doesn't say compare the results. Let's do the work. Put another stone stone down. Okay. Let's keep reading. Verse five says, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Even the Bitcoin is mine, declares the Lord Almighty the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty and this place I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty now I got to keep going I really want to do a third week and preach this part because this is an awesome part because even though the first house had a lot of glitter and a lot of glam it's not gonna have the glory like this next house is gonna have but let's skip to verse 18 he says from this day on from this 24th day of the ninth month give careful thought to the day when the foundations of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive have not borne fruit. Yet, from this day on, I will bless you. So he says, I want you to give some thought to when the foundation was first laid. Well, what happened when the foundation was first laid? In order to know that, we have to go to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra is the book that records what happened when this remnant of people first came from Babylon, started building the temple 16 years ago. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, this is what it says. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he's good, his love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. So what's going on here? You have one group that's celebrating and one group that's sorrowful. How could a group of people from the same nation standing at the same foundation for the same purpose, you've got them with two different perspectives. One is blowing a trumpet. The other one is shedding tears. It's the same place, different perspective. Same moment, different measurement. It's your your frame of reference that determines whether you're going to have a praise party or a pity party. That's why we need a new method for measuring. Because you keep comparing your foundation to somebody else's finish. Now, what they don't realize is that this temple that they're crying over is gonna be two to three times bigger than the one that they're remembering. But right now, right now it seems like nothing. And so you have to be strong now and do the work in seasons when it seems like nothing. Wishing is not going to get the temple built. Whining is not going to get the temple built. Waiting is not going to get the temple built. That's what the people did for 16 years since Ezra 3. And I know it seems like nothing right now, but you got to understand now isn't nothing. The challenge is to be obedient when it looks like nothing. And this is the secret that I want to share with you. It it is a new method for measuring and it is the system by which I define success. Do you want to know the secret? Okay. Before I share it with you, I need to tell you I, I remember John Maxwell talking about something and he was going through something similar. John Maxwell, you don't know, he, he's written a lot of books, and talks about leadership and all this kind of stuff, but he said something that stuck with me one day. He said, you need to define your measure of success. And it came from this time in his life where his career was taking off and a lot of things were happening But he noticed during this time in his life where he was experiencing a lot of growth and a lot of increase, a lot of his colleagues' lives were deteriorating. Their marriages were falling apart. And he got thinking, man, these people are in different places, but what's all this if I lose my family in the process? And so this is not the secret, but so he said, from that moment, I created my own definition of success and John Maxwell, He'll say this, that his definition of success is that the people that are closest to him love and respect him the most. But he goes on to say, you got to have your own definition of success. It's not really John Maxwell who said it though. I think about what Jesus said. Jesus said in Mark eight thirty-six, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul in the process? There's a lot of stuff that you can hit. There's a lot of stuff you can make happen. There's a lot of goals that you can achieve. But if you're measuring the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. And this is when God gave me the secret. I'll share it with you. It's that success isn't in what I achieve someday. Success is when I'm obedient this day. This is the new method for measuring. It's not in, when does the temple get rebuilt? It's not how spiritually mature I am, how much Bible have I read? How many people have listened to this sermon? Did I hit that goal? Did I make that thing happen? It's not when I achieve that goal someday, it's when I'm obedient this day. This day. Now, be strong. Do the work. This day. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree The pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. In other words, right now, it looks like nothing. But this day, I will bless you. And from this day, I will bless you. You gotta have the right measurement. You gotta put down another stone. You gotta be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You gotta be obedient. the thing that he's called you to do today. If you'll do that, it's not nothing. And I bet for many people here, there is something that God has told you to do even today. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's to text that person. God's Put them on your heart to reach out, to encourage, to pray for that person. Some of you have taken a step just by coming to church today. That was an act of obedience. That's awesome. It's a step in the right direction. So when I'm obedient to this day, I want to say a prayer for each person that needs a new method of measuring.